Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, it's Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer who joins us as he does every single Tuesday. How has James Borrego handled the veterans in a year where they've pivoted towards the youth? We'll talk to him about that and plenty more. Also, we'll give you a recap against the Portland Trailblazers and this. I don't have a question. I just wanted to throw that into the middle of the arena. Oh, oh, that knife. It hurt. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day, local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. It's Tuesday. That means Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joins us, and you can find him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, how are you doing today, man? I'm great. I'm uh, I'm not far away from flying to France. I'm going to spend a couple of days off before I start working with the Hornets out there, and um, I'm pretty excited. We, yeah, we. I was going to say, where does this trip rank for you, Rick, as far as all the other trips that you've taken for the Charlotte Hornets? I mean, not, obviously nothing compares to, you know, a week in China. Um, that was a, a remarkable experience. I, I regret the fact that I was so concerned with doing right by the observer that I didn't really, you know, I wasn't willing to take the chance to explore more than I did to ration time to that. But, you know, yeah, this is pretty cool. This job has, has taken me to, uh, to Germany to cover the Davis Cup semifinal years ago and to China and now to, to, uh, to Paris. It's, it's cool. Doug, did you have something? <laughs> uh, no, I just thought that, that's awesome. France is. Oh yeah, <laughs> I couldn't hear you. <laughs> I thought I thought I jumped the gun. I thought I was interrupting you for a change, which I thought was something different. I, that's what I, I thought. We reverse roles there. All right, <laughs> we'll start with uh, some of the other stuff that you've been covering, Rick. I know uh, you mentioned to me um, just this hard pivot to youth that the Charlotte Hornets organization has undergone. James Borrego making sure that he gets a lot of the young guys in there. Um, what, to what, how would you evaluate the hard pivot to the youth? How would you say that's turned out for James Borrego and this Hornets team so far, really at the halfway point of the season? That he said what he was going to do and he's done what he was going to, you know, that, that he said. Um, I, when I looked at the numbers, I wanted to wait to mid-season um, to write about the execution of this. But I wanted to make sure that we weren't making evaluations on small sample size. Um, these two numbers really strike me, and I'm curious if you guys agree. Um, first and second-year players have accounted for 44% of their total minutes. If you add in Monk and Bacon from the 2017 um, draft class, that number rise to 56%. Uh, I knew that what JB was going to do was the right decision, but I didn't know how this would work in execution. I think that there was a real danger of this fracturing a locker room with five veterans who, you know, make the vast majority of the money on this payroll. I spent a lot of time talking to the players about this, particularly players who are no longer starters. I was really struck by the extent to which they have not only bought into this, but they feel like they're valued and are part of the process of getting these young guys ready. Um, I asked JB, I got, you know, I got a half an hour one-on-one with JB about this subject. 
And I asked him, I said, to what do you attribute how this has worked in an interpersonal way? And I got this great quote from JB where he said, you know, I don't bullshit people. Uh, he said, I, I would much rather deal with difficult situations head on rather than just uh, pacifying people. Well, he did that, and he bought a lot of trust as a result. And this has worked out better than I thought it would, quite frankly. Uh, does that interaction with James Borrego, as well as your interactions with some of the veteran players that may have said that, does that change the way that you've evaluated James Borrego in his second season? Um, not so much in the sense that I knew. You know, he's got a, he's got a master's in leadership studies. His mom told me, a lot, you know, when he first got the job, that the best quality that James Borrego has is he's a world-class listener. There's a lot of merit to that. People feel valued by him, who he manages. So it is, I'm not, I didn't learn something really new about who he is, but it certainly reinforced the impression of the fact that this guy, you know, part of it's who he is, part of it's, you know, like I said, he, the master's study he has. And also I think a lot of it is just working for, Greg Popovich, a guy who understood the power of truth. Um, I, I actually, I just think it's really cool about how he manages people. Of course, Rick, he was hired by Mitch Kupchak to become the next head coach after Steve Clifford of the Charlotte Hornets basketball team. Well, what are some of the biggest differences in your mind that have happened under Mitch Kupchak uh, since he's taken over? I'm glad you asked me about that because I think we now we have seen a, enough you know, that we can actually see some trends about Mitch. Um, two little things he did that might not seem super obvious to people, as, you know, that it hasn't necessarily yet affected the record, but I think they're interesting. He has put a lot more resources into development, and he's put more resources into preventive medicine. Um, those are things that aren't governed by the salary cap, so it makes sense if you're, in, you know, in your, this situation that you would be looking for, you know, alternative ways to improve performance. The, I think the most marked thing we've seen from an actual basketball decision standpoint is it seems like he puts a whole lot more time and effort into the second round. Um, Rich Show obviously, you know, got Dwayne Bacon, so it's not like he never did anything in the second round. But I think we could argue that between Devon A. Graham and Cody Martin, that we've seen a significant shift in the approach to the draft. Rick, tying that back to the discussion about James Borrego, would you say that James Borrego is, is fortunate in a way in that he has this group of young players from Devontae Graham to P.J. Washington to Dwayne Bacon to even Malik Monk that uh, are playing well but also seem to have a mature attitude about their approach to being a professional basketball player, does that sort of play in to how well he's been able to integrate this young group with the the veterans? I don't know whether I would put all those lump all those guys together in the same way, but I will tell you this: um, I think that there are certain people who are wired to succeed in life between their intelligence and their maturity. Devonte Graham and P.J. Washington share that trait. I would say they're both old souls. I remember when when PJ was making such dramatic uh, advancement in the in the preseason that he that they really he really gave him no choice but to start him. He wasn't surprised by all this, not in an arrogant way, 
Um, and when I asked him why right before the season started, he reminded me that, you know, his, his father, you know, is a very accomplished nationally known high school coach. His mother was a, you know, was also coached in what they were both college players. Um, he was, once he decided that basketball was going to be something he was serious enough to make his livelihood, he, you know, he applied himself to it. Um, and you and I have talked forever about what an incredibly mature person Devon Graham is. Um, he's going on 40 years old, guys, in a good way. <laughs> Rick, because of what you said about James Borrego, the way that he is a straight shooter with his veterans, because of what you discussed with Mitch Kupchak, putting a little bit more resources into preventative medicine, it, it does seem to me that maybe hearing those things, reputation might be changing for the Charlotte Hornets. Is, is there enough of that information going around in the marketplace, maybe around the NBA, that the perception of the Hornets is changing a little bit? Is that too loaded? Is there any way to gauge that? And that does that even matter? I know it's a loaded question, Rick, but do you think that there is enough of a perception change with some of the things that have changed within this organization? I think it's way too soon to tell. Um, I think that they have done some good work lately. I think that the most significant decisions are much more in the future. You know, Mitch has never... Um, had cap room before we don't you know we know what he said he's going to approach that with that he's not gonna you know act like a drunken sailor um <laughs> in the free agent market and i think that's smart um but we don't know what he's going to do next and so frankly you know walker not 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 let's forget about national perception let's talk about local perception I think they have an awful lot to overcome as far as a, a fan base that is exasperated by what's happened over the last few years. And I think they still have an, an awful lot of perception to change. Would you not agree? No, I would. I would. I, it just, it, it seems maybe I was too happy there. Maybe I was excited about a couple of things that I'm seemed like you. they were good. I just want this team to be good, Rick. That's, I imagine. That's, that's <laughs> fine, but that's fine, Walker. But Rick's like me. He's like, wait and see. We don't know. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden they trade for Andre Drummond and everything's, everything's whack-a-doodle. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they are on a game losing streak, so let's not get... <laughs> I know, I know. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. Yep, here I was trying to be excited. <laughs> we've, got, we've got more of the bright and shiny Rick Pinnell joining us next here on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. Decoys all over the place. They've got everybody down at the rim. Ball goes into biz. They do like an XFL style where the wide receiver runs to the line of scrimmage, except it's with Devontae Graham. He picks up a foul. I don't care what you say, Nate McMillan. More like Nate McVillan. Get out of here. Quit whining about the officials. You got plenty of calls. The Hornets got a call at the end of the game. I thought it was fair. Hornets win. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us once again here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Let's get to some of the things that have been happening on the court. And Rick, I guess it does kind of tie into our conversation about this hard pivot to youth that the Hornets have undergone. But here recently, Nick Batum has been getting quite a bit of run. To what do you attribute that to? Uh, them really needing to, to do something defensively. Uh, you know, Nick, Nick played, you know, after not playing at all, he played 32 minutes against the Suns. And I saw that as them looking at film of Phoenix and recognizing that they needed to do something about Devin Booker, not just destroying them. Devin Booker, Devin Booker 
made one of his first seven shots from the field. He ended up 3 of 12. I'm not saying that Nick suddenly became Kawhi Leonard, but, you know, there's a usefulness about Nick. I, I think I understand why the fan base is the way feel the way they do about his salary re, in relative to his contribution. But good coaching is taking advantage of what people do well. Nick is a six foot nine inch guy with skills, and he is an above average defender. To not utilize that, I think would be short sighted. Dwayne Bacon has seen a resurgence this month. He's shooting above 50% from the field. He's shooting above uh, 53% from three-point land, and he's taken about two per game uh, upon average of just looking at what he's done in January, in January Rick. Um, how, how would you evaluate the way that Dwayne Bacon has been able to bounce back from some really, really bad early season struggles? I had a long one-on-one talk with him when he wasn't playing at all, and I found him to have an amazingly positive attitude. He wasn't blaming anybody else for his plight. He wasn't getting down on himself. He was just, you know, working on his own and, and, and trying to figure out what was wrong. Um, at the end of the day, two things sort of define whether Bake is playing well or not. Is he finishing around the rim? And is he consistently focused on defense? Borrego talks about those two things all the time, that you know, some things are, are simple, but they're still hard. And until he changes those two things about his game, he can only be so good. Rick, when you consider Dwayne Bacon and some of the other young players on this roster, who's established themselves as long-term keepers? I think that Devontae and PJ, without a doubt, I don't know. I'm curious what you two think about this. I don't think there's anybody else on this roster who you can definitively say those are people that they need to make sure they don't lose for the long haul. I'm not saying other people are write-offs. I'm saying there's still question marks. Well, it, I think that the, another, the other name that would come to mind immediately is the other first-round draft pick, and it's Miles Bridges. And, Rick, I don't disagree with you. I think P.J. Washington and Devontae Graham are the guys that have established themselves in a different tier as far as young players go as long-term keepers. How far away is Miles Bridges from that type of tier in your mind? I think it's been really hard on Miles. I think that they have asked him to do all kinds of things defensively that was a, you know, a rough ask. Um, but, you know, his, his level of consistency of performance, he hasn't demonstrated it yet. Um, and, you know, that, the beauty of the rookie pay scale is – you have plenty of time to evaluate and build a true body of work before you decide what you want to do about that second contract as an NBA team. And that's now where people make all their money is the second, uh, you know, the second contract. I mean, people are well compensated for a rookie scale, you know, on the rookie scale. But at the end of the day, the, the, the macro trade-off in the collective bargaining agreement is teams get to pay rookies you know, very affordably in return for those teams, you know, spending time and investing time in their development. Well, P.J. Washington has immediately demonstrated, you know, what he can be. Miles hasn't by comparison. SGA, 20 points, 20 rebounds, triple-double. I don't have a question. Oh, I just wanted to throw that into the middle of the arena. God almighty. Oh, oh, that knife. It hurt. 
<laughs> you know what I thought of Shea Gilgis Alexander. I was not subtle in my opinion about the Hornets needing to draft him. I, I threw a temper tantrum, and now Doug just wants to point out his good stat lines every single time he does something good. Yeah, I, I appreciate both of you for pointing out the dark history that has been the Charlotte Hornets here in, in this interview with you, Rick. Uh, Doug and you both at fault, but we'll, we'll get you out of here on this, Rick. Uh, when it, when you look at the NBA trade deadline, we've talked about the possibility of trading some of these veterans, but what should they want out of the trade deadline in return with whatever they do? Is no trade even the best option? I think um, if I were Mitch, and you know, Mitch has, has not made a single in-season trade um, in the time he's been here, and that is a long time, but it's interesting to me that he, you know, that, that he is – the deals he's made have been entirely out of season. Um, I wonder if, you know, the trade they don't make could potentially be the right trade to make in that, you know, I hear an awful lot of fans, understandably, asking, it, you know, can they get something for Marvin? And to a lesser degree, can they get something for Biz? I think you need to be careful about what would be coming back because it's impossible the way that the salary cap works for um, – for the Hornets not to take anything back but a draft pick, it might be actually it might actually be better better for them, you know, just just to let those contracts expire rather than what they would have to do if it involves money beyond this season. No, it makes sense. That's Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer. Once again, you can find him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, we always appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Sure thing. Take care. This is Locked on Hornets. Develop winning habits. You know what winning habits are? Scoring things in the box score. That's what winning habits are. You compete. Rebounds, when you, assists. Yeah, when you compete, points. you get rebounds. When you compete, you get assists. When you compete, you score points. It's not you about effort. The it's about competing. <laughs> hey, you want to be you. back on the show, baby. I got baby. you, Doug. You want to be back you, on Doug. the show. This is me. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Thank you very much, Doug, for hitting Rick where it hurts with the Shea Gilgis Alexander reference. Of You're course, welcome. you know me and my love for Shea Gilgis Alexander getting the 2020-10 triple-double last night. Didn't have a question, as you mentioned. You just wanted to rub that in our faces. And that was a couple times that I got slapped in the face with bad Hornets things that have happened. The losing streak that they're currently on. The fact that they decided to skip out on SGA when I just was asking, is there a little bit of a perception change with some of the good things that they've done? I don't know. I was just asking the question, but thanks to both of you for ruining my good mood. I mean, you're welcome. I mean, that's what I'm here for. But you know what? I, it made <laughs> it me think about PJ Washington and like why, why he's so magical to me right now. And I think part of the reason is that he's the first draft pick in a while to A, come in and immediately start and make an impact, but also th that he, we don't immediately regret his drafting, you know? I mean, with Miles, it was SGA, played well in his rookie season, played better than Miles, and then now is his trajectory is, you know, the sky's the limit for him, the ceiling is the floor or whatever, the ceiling is a roof or whatever. And then, you know, you look back Malik Monk, Donovan Mitchell, you look back Frank Kaminsky, Devin Booker, Miles Turner, you don't immediately regret PJ Washington. Really, the the two players that are that you would maybe kind of wonder if they would fit better with the Hornets, Tyler Hero, and then Brandon Clark. But I think that PJ Washington ultimately will be a better all around player than than both those guys. So that it's just fun. It's it's PJ Washington is very fun to me right now.
No, my God. Yeah. I, I love PJ Washington. He, he's been fantastic. I mean, I mean, I, I, I was underwhelmed with that selection. I feel that most Hornets fans were underwhelmed. A lot of people, I feel like talked themselves into it because that's what happens during draft time. We're all very emotional. We're all very sensitive. We have no clue what we want in life. And then PJ Washington comes out and has the whatever six, three pointers that he hit seven, three pointers against uh, in that debut and we're extremely excited about it. And we should be. What's funny to me about all of this is I remember last year, and myself included, there is audio of me saying this exact very thing that I'm going to make fun of. But we all were like, hey, this SGA, Miles Bridges thing, it's not Malik Monk, Donovan Mitchell. Okay? It's far from it. We made sure that we knew, and we, we all knew that SGA had been playing better, right? That's not debatable. He played better than Miles Bridges last season, but we were all very, very quick and adamant to say that, no, this is not Donovan Mitchell, Malik Monk. So make sure we don't go that crazy with it. But every time like NBA Twitter loves Shea Gilgis Alexander as they should, because he's doing crazy things. And so now as Miles Bridges isn't trending in the right direction, maybe had that few games in a row here recently where he played pretty well, but Miles Bridges, for the most part, I don't think people would say they're pleased with him. I think what SGA has done with OKC has been crazy. Now it's like, oh, maybe <laughs> this might be two years in a row of Donovan Mitchell, Malik Monk. And you know, I love Malik Monk, man, but I mean, it is what it is. Donovan's balling right now. SGA's balling right now. And the Hornets could have had both of them, and it's pretty unfortunate. Yeah, it's slightly different in that, again, Donovan was instant. It was instant regret, whereas SGA has, has been somewhat of a slow burn. But I think it was Derek Rose that said that... SGA is a bucket. I mean, he's a guy you can throw the ball to and you know this guy can go out there and get you a bucket. That's not Miles Bridges. And I think it's unfortunate. If he's not shooting the basketball well from that left corner three, he's probably not going to have a great offensive night. It's it's odd to me. Every time I see P.J. Washington make a great cut to the basket, whether it's uh, with the ball or he makes the cut and the ball gets to him, I'm like, man, why can't Miles do that? It's just so strange to me the things that P.J. can do that Miles, um, for, for whatever reason, cannot do, or maybe he's not being asked to do it. I don't know if that's, if that's fair or not. But I'll tell you this, Walker, neither Miles Bridges or P.J. Washington yeah, is an Anthony Tolliver. I'll tell you that much go. right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anthony Tolliver. You say, this is your fault. You curse, this, you curse the Hornets. You curse this show by disrespecting the name of Anthony Tolliver, and he had his revenge game against the Charlotte Hornets uh, with you the, know, as a member of the Portland Trailblazers. It's not the 16 points that I laugh about, even though it, it may be a factor. It's not the biggest thing that I laugh about. It's not the it's it's not the seven of eight shooting. It's not even the two three pointers that he hit. Like that's his game. But the five offensive rebounds for Anthony Toller, uh, Tolliver and eleven rebounds for him. The double double, the 16 and 11 double double with five offensive rebounds. Of course, Anthony Toller is going to be the guy that beats the Charlotte Hornets. He's He's the one, right? It's always the random dude on the bench that comes in and destroys you. Of course, it's friendly fire with Anthony Toller, Tolliver being the guy that destroys him. Well, he wouldn't have even played had their front court depth not been completely decimated. So he just he gets this opportunity uh, to play his old franchise. Uh, he only played here one year, but it was a playoff year. He was a he played a significant mm -hmm. role on that Bobcats playoff team, but. Yeah, that's funny. Funny revenge game. I'm not too upset by the loss. They played hard. They stayed in it throughout. The young players played well. Devontae Graham shooting well again. So I'm not going to be upset at this loss. I know it's five in a row, 
But I mean, if we're real, again, we have to decide, are we really talking long-term here? Are we really focused on that? Or are we focused on wins and losses? Me, I've, I have settled into this place where I'm focused on the long-term. I want to see Graham play well. I want to see PJ Washington play well. And that's really it for me. No biz. I'm telling you, biz makes a big impact on this team. His physicality, you just don't get that with, with hurting Gomez and, and it hurt him. Well, what's, what's funny to me is, is listening to you and, and watching you really go on either side of the fence. I feel like you're conflicted this season because there will be times where you're like, we need to get this win, man. They needed that win badly. And then you try to oh, rationalize whoa. it. Well, you know, I think hey, we can't measure. I just feel like we need to talk this out a little bit more. And I feel like we have this entire season. I just want to know, has it been helpful? Do you feel like you're finding Nirvana or do you feel like you're still trying to hustle and bustle in your brain, figuring out exactly what needs to be done with this. Listen, if it were five straight losses in the vein of how they performed against Utah, then yeah, that would be a problem. Then, and, and and Devontae Graham's not playing well and PJ Washington's not playing well, like all of those things. If those were happening, yes, I would be concerned about the future direction of the team, but I'm not. I mean, they are playing hard for most of these games. They, they, they are executing offense. And the thing with, I go back to the Rick interview where he talks about why they decided to plug Nick Batum in for defense. Like it's all been plugging holes in a dam that's leaking everywhere. Like you see it in the rotation decisions, you know, suddenly yeah. Dwayne Bacon's back, suddenly Nick Batum's back, then they leave. And it's all like they, they, they put somebody in so that they can get a little bit more offense because the offense is stagnated. Then the offense ramps up again and they can't play defense. So then they sub some people in that can play defense, but then the offense stagnates. And it's just, this has been a constant thing. And that's just, that is a fundamental thing about this team. They don't have the two-way play yet where you can get eight or nine guys and say, okay, in the, in the Steve Clifford vein, we're like, I'm comfortable with these eight or nine guys. You know, we may lose a game for this reason or that reason, but I'm comfortable that these nine guys, nine or 10 guys, can can execute the game plan. They don't have that right now, and so that's what you're that's what you're seeing play out. Yeah, the performances of note just real quickly. PJ Washington had 20 points. He had three three pointers. They, they shot really well from three point land. 47 percent, 18 of 38 in this game. And then it was Terry Rozier four of eight from three point land. Uh, Devonte Graham eight of 13. Devonte Graham nine of 17 from the field. Terry Rozier, eight of 18 from the field. Doug, did you have any other thoughts? Well, that on this? final, let's talk just for a brief moment. That final play, though, was pretty, was pretty doo-doo. Like the, the final inbounds where they could have tied it up with a three. Yeah, Devontae Graham get the inbounds and then drive inside. There seemed to be whatever plan they had went awry because then he had to dribble back out and take a weirdly contested three. So that I would have liked to see a little bit better executed. Like you missed the shot, you missed the shot, but that was... And that good. It was reminiscent of Hornets inbounds years past. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, it was doo-doo, as you said. And it reminded of, what was a, the other shot that you didn't like, Doug? It's a technical uh, term, technical basketball term. I'm a smart but, basketball guy. Was it Toronto, the shot that Devontae also had a, a bad at the uh, at end of regulation? I think it was. It was Toronto where Devontae Graham, you would have rather gone a different direction than just Devontae, and it wasn't the greatest shot in the world. Well, I would have liked to see the ball in Rozier's hands because he was shooting better that night. I right. was fine with it being in Devontae's hands against um, against Portland mm -hmm. because he was scorching hot. hi -yay! Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. We'll be back with you tomorrow.